Hello everyone, welcome to the Torn Page Podcast. How's everyone doing today? We are good. I am Casey. I am Destin. And there is Joseph. Yeah, he re- he really doesn't deserve you at all. He's a little bitch. Oh, uh, so today we are talking about this little. It's not very well known. I've seen a couple of podcasters do it. Joseph keeps fucking with his microphone. And it's destroying the whole entire recording because he's a fucking asshole. Anyway. Welcome, everyone. You can't work under these conditions. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we're talking about the Dallas Lipstick Murders, Miss Debbie Martinson. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back. Okay. We're back. <laughs> that shit was fucking funny. Okay, we're talking about Debbie Martinson, the Dallas Lipstick Murders. So... Okay, we're good at did fall. <laughs> Joseph Joseph brought this to me. Uh he he was like, Hey, uh you think I think you heard a podcast about it or something like that. Yeah, uh, I'll state my source to the Gone Cold podcast. Yeah, that's what I saw whenever I looked it up was the Gone uh, Cold podcast. It's like murders in Texas. Oh yeah, it's all about Texas? Yeah. Yeah, they have plenty of fucking information to go off of. Yeah. So this one was uh a little bit of a big deal. It's very, I think the biggest thing was there was a lot of confusion of uh, suspects and uh, who did it, who didn't do it, uh, stuff like that. The and guy, a lot that, of everybody pointing their finger, and no one actually was convicted of it. Correct? Was was, but there were a lot of okay. I got you. All right, so we're gonna get into it. We're gonna talk about Debbie Martinson a little bit. Well, what happened with her? A little bit of backstory around her, and then we'll get into the juicy, juicy death. Juicy. Because death is juicy. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Debbie Martinson was 28 years old. Her husband, Don, 32. They grew up in Spring Valley, which is just a little blue-collar suburb out of Houston. They are high school sweethearts or whatever. Debbie originally was a nurse that uh, she worked while Dawn was in Baylor Law School, but after they had a kid, she gave up her career, and Dawn started his law practice. So Debbie, she was a homemaker per se, and uh, was just, you know, all she did during her days was keep the baby alive and take care of the house. uh, A little tidbit about Debbie right offhand is she was paranoid. Yes, very, very paranoid. Um, her One of her neighbors even said, you know, she was probably really fucking lonely because she was always at home. Husband was never fucking there. Yeah, and when Dawn wasn't at home, she was so scared because a, a murder, just like there were disappearances and murders in Texas before this happened, and she was so paranoid that while Dawn was out of town, the doors would be like triple locked. The yeah, she slept like, under her bed, under I think. Under her bed while Dawn, if Dawn was not home. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. So, you know, even though they lived in this nice big this was 1980, $200,000 home, apparently they were broke as shit. Like uh one of her former coworkers was like Debbie would never go out to eat. 
you know, they they she would never go out to eat with her friends or coworkers or anything. They lived in a two hundred thousand dollar house, but they couldn't afford to spend three dollars at El Phoenix. Yeah, and so I think Don was such a tight ass with his money that, which I think is kind of fucked up because she worked to put him through law school. Yeah, but when he started making you know some bread, he would give her like. Two hundred dollars to go get groceries. Yeah, and and like like they say, they said, um, even though he was you know depicted as an uncaring husband, apparently his law partners and business associates disagreed. Apparently, Deborah Martin was like a fearful person, you know, constantly checking for doors and windows locked. She lived in like permanent dread, uh, always worried about violence and mayhem lurking around every corner. And well, it turns out. She was paranoid for a fucking reason. Yes. So, in Mar- it was March <clears throat> March 31st, 1980, was when her nightmares took human form and ended her fears forever. One of her family friends said she had a horror of dying like this. She would open, she would never open, she wouldn't open a door for anyone. Doesn't matter who it was. So, you wanted to come see Debbie, you had to call beforehand. Yes, and she had to know who you were, hmm. mainly. So on the morning of Debbie's death, Don Morrison left home at 7.15 a.m. en route to go to jury duty. He, Upon his return at 6.45 p.m., he was greeted, greeted by baby David screaming in his crib. Debbie was nowhere to be found. After he comforted his son, he went looking around for his wife, and instead of stumbled upon a murder beginning in the doorway of the master bedroom a line of Debbie's clothing had been neatly laid out blouse, bra, pantyhose, panties skirt, the sequence culminating in Debbie's nude corpse position on the carpet cold to the touch, her body lay next to a smear of human feces a macrame plant holder wound tightly around her neck on the room's floor to ceiling mirror the killer had left a message scrawled in Debbie, Debbie's pale pink lipstick. Now we are even Dawn. The way that's written is weird. It's Do you see this? How it's written, Destin? Yeah. The way it's written on the mirror almost looks like it's signed Dawn. So yeah, the, I don't know, the mirror just, it just, the way it's written is weird to me. Okay. So Debbie's life is obviously over but the indignities inflicted upon her were not so after calling law enforcement Don Martin went to seclusion he refused to speak with detectives and I mean obviously his silence indicated guilt so the Dallas media went to a fucking frenzy of speculation the city was still reeling from the high profile murder trial of Colin Davis an oil magnate and when word spread Don Martinson had hired one of Colin Davis's criminal defense attorneys, his guilt seemed a foregone conclusion. I mean, as soon as something like that happens to your wife and all you want to do is not speak with detectives, it looks kind of bad. Yeah, a little bit. Just like running is an admission of guilt. Not speaking is just as much of an admission of guilt as speaking. It seems like with detectives. (laughs) Dallas County Sergeant Bill Parker... Uh, he said, we don't know what is evidence and what isn't to be ridiculous. We don't know if the dining room table is evidence, if it belongs there. Such a weird thing to say. Like anything could be evidence. 
anything could have a fingerprint on it. Yeah, that's true. If somebody was in the house, you know, they don't you don't know if they made a bowl of cereal. Yeah. Reference BTK. <laughs> <laughs> but as as most people know, the first forty eight hours of a homicide investigation are the most critical. But the deadline came and went because Don Martin just kept stonewalling detectives. Uh, his delay in speaking to law enforcement, according to his attorney, was due to him grieving his wife. But if you were grieving your fucking wife, you'd want to find the fucking killer if you didn't kill her. But regardless of the reason, it didn't help the investigation whatsoever. The note left by the killer seemed to imply Debbie had been slayed in retribution of her husband's misdeeds, but without Don Martin's input, detectives were unable to determine if the message was a legitimate clue or merely a staging. Somebody thought, like, one of their theories was the murderer was one of Don Martin's clients? Yeah, that's what it was saying because that other murder... Yeah, he was. Uh, he contacted the same criminal defense attorney he or whatever. Was a small claims lawyer. Yeah. Hmm. So there's no like big time mafia cases where you'd be like, "Hey, he did it, he's guilty," and then one of the dudes hit men is like, "They got his wife." Yeah, I mean, small claims court can actually small claims court goes up to like two hundred grand. So really, yeah. Okay. small claims isn't just like this guy hit my car. He owes me three hundred dollars for repairs. Small claims court can be expensive. It can be a lot of money, yeah. It's just they call it small claims court because it's not criminal, but it's not like a massive embezzlement thing. But I think small claims is like price tags up to like a hundred grand. Like if you sue someone for like destroying your hundred thousand dollar BMW, you take them to small claims court. You know, if they owe you for a hundred thousand dollar car, you take them to small claims court. So you know, it it could still be something pretty expensive. But all right, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. So about five days after his wife's death, Martin, uh, with his defense attorney in tow, decide they'd sit down for a two-hour interview with investigators. Martin denied having any enemies or disgruntled clients his law, office, uh, his law office. The benign nature of his civil practice was unlikely to uh, cause the wrath of enemies. But, you know, you still never know, like we just said. Detectives requested Marston compile and deliver a list of workmen who had visited the home in weeks before the crime. The family had moved into uh, the house two months prior to the murder. And, you know, delivery drivers, handymen were frequent callers when you settle into a new house. You know, you got to get different stuff installed, you know, your furniture delivered, stuff like that. And uh, Don Martin's law partner said the murderer couldn't have had anything to do with his law practice. No way. It's it's just not the kind of practice that sparks that kind of feeling with people. But then again, I've seen people whack somebody over $10. So yeah, true. You, I can't really say much. And on top of that, whoever did it, they knew who lived there. Yeah, right. they, they knew who it was. Who was it? Who, what rapper was it? I think it's uh Montana. No, Montana 300. He uh, said, he said, I'll clap a clown over Magwala. Don't give a fuck if it was $10. I believe him. I mean, he's, he's like, he's, he's he from Chirac. He's from Chirac. So, you know, you never know. But the, the medical examiner's report was a bombshell, apparently. Although the lack of forcible entry at the scene seemed to indicate Debbie had known her attacker, the results of her uh, autopsy indicated that attacker had almost certainly been someone other than Dawn. 
Debbie's time of death was estimated to be between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. when Martinson was corralled in the courthouse with other potential jurors. He hadn't been dismissed until 3.30 p.m., at which point his wife was already dead. This theory. Uh, hold on, I'm being me out at. <laughs> I just got I got a text message and it said meow meow and the, she was talking about the cat. <laughs> I was really fucking confused <laughs> when I saw that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Drop your theory. Let's go. What's up? Right on. Uh, <laughs> the theory is like some whip smart detective was like. Hey. He did it, and this is how. He went to jury duty, right? Was Jimmy, hang on, hang on. You with me? He went to jury duty. He got out for an hour for lunch. He drove 45 minutes home. After. Drove 45 minutes back. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, that doesn't make any fucking sense. They got out at like 12.30 for lunch. They got to be back at 1.30 for the pickings. I, don't know. <laughs> I always say that I'm like racist or something, so I don't have to go to jury duty. Yeah. Like one time I got the card and I just wrote, I'm racist and sent it back. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. look at the name. If it says, you know, Juan Carlos Hernandez, just be like, I don't like Mexicans. And you have, you don't have to go. You don't have to go if you don't fucking want to. Yeah. And you, you're right. But you also have to come up with some type of excuse. Suck my dick. That's the excuse. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm talking to you, judicial system. I've never been summoned for jury duty. Eat my pole. Yeah, never. I have. I know people that twice. have literally gone like four times at like the age of 24. I'm 25 and I've never been. I've also served in the military, so I really didn't. <laughs> kind yeah, of you had, you had a couple years that you couldn't get summoned, <laughs> yeah, so. All you gotta do, like, you know, if you get summoned, just sit there and just go, ah, sorry, I have PTSD. Yeah. Serve my time for the country. I don't have to do this. I'd be like, okay, eat my dick. I got. I had. I had the uniform. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the theory was he left at twelve thirty. He drove forty five minutes to his house, offed uh, Debbie, drove forty five minutes back, and made it back in time for the one thirty roll call. I mean, no, it I, not work. <laughs> that is I mean, definitely I mean, not quick maths. That that doesn't add up. Going? That doesn't add up at all. Is that motherfucker in a McLaren? <laughs> <laughs> Can he? Does he have a jet? Okay. What year is this? They got the two forty Z back then. Nineteen eighty. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, there was fast cars back then, but I don't think he had a fucking fighter jet. <laughs> anyway, so Debbie had. Not she had not been vaginally raped, according to the medical examiner, but vaginally, <laughs> vaginally, vaginally. <laughs> but they did find semen in her mouth, and her wrist and ankles bore traces of adhesive. She would bound with tape, although the bindings had been removed from the scene and taken with her. But apparently, one of an unnamed confidant in Deborah said that she would not take her clothes off for God. She ain't fucking nobody <laughs> is apparently what like not nobody. I mean, she had a kid, but that was probably like just bend over, hurry up type deal. She yeah. sounds like that type of lady <laughs> sounds like that type of lady, but Debbie, she still had her expensive wedding ring, her watch, her hair was in colors. Um, she, so she clearly quick. hadn't been expecting visitors. It was quick. 
Yeah, though the evidence at the scene implied that she had been slain in a sex crime rather than domestic homicide, and the Dallas new pi- newspapers, at least, died when cast, they wanted to pin it on the husband. That's all they wanted to do. It, it was easy. It was... It, I mean, it probably sold newspapers. That's all that matters. Don Martin's attorney, Phil Burleson... He said, in domestic murders, I think the spouse is the first suspect about 60% of the time. 60% is more like 90%. Yeah, I just didn't want anyone taking advantage of Dawn while he was in such an emotional state. You're an attorney, you're defending your client. You don't have to fucking explain it. I mean, it's it's an American right to have an attorney. Yeah, if Destin killed Caleb, it'd be like, he's the suspect, but we both know he's hopeless. Yeah, like, <laughs> dude, it's got to be hard to be a defense attorney sometimes, yeah. you know, like, you have to defend someone, and they, like, they go up to you, and they're like, yeah, I fucking raped her, and you're just like, oh, I gotta find a way to not get you to go to jail for 30 years, <laughs> fuck. All this evidence, we literally have, we literally have a huge neon sign that says, he did it, but we're gonna make sure that you don't go to prison for it. Yeah, that's why that's why de- people look at defense attorneys as so scummy because it it goes away from being defending your client but attacking the prosecution so that you can I don't know like discredit what they say, you know? Yeah. That's like a lot really good defense attorneys are people you want to murder when they talk. Yeah. Like they're they're pompous assholes and they'll instead of defending their client and being like, yeah, they didn't do it, they'll be like they they'll attack like someone that collected evidence and how they collected attack the um medical exterminator. But their client. Yeah. Look like for example, back to OJ, look at Johnny Cochran, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh I mean, he was like when the glove didn't fit. Did any of you see the footage? I watched the fucking live. I didn't watch it, no. No, I didn't. I'm that old. No, I didn't watch it, no. But uh Domino's got an uproar in sales. I remember that. (laughs) I remember that, yeah. But uh they'd probably be closed right now if OJ didn't kill his wife. After OJ tries on the glove and he just, did, you know, he does the hand thing like, well, you know, it didn't fit. <laughs> Johnny Cochran stands up and he's like, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. He's such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, he was, you know, he thought about that tagline for fucking weeks. Yeah. You know, like he's like, this is my shit. He's driving home. He's just, <gasps> I got it. Yes. <laughs> it's like the bad baby of the 80s. You know, like she, her entire career was built off of a tagline. Oh my god, that like defense attorneys. I don't know. Okay, where was I? Fuck. Okay, so investigators of Dallas police, uh, police department they per they they used the list of workmen recently dispatched to the home, and one name caught their attention: Donald Wayne Hemphill. Is that, is that connected? Is that how you say it? Hemphill. Hem Hemphill. Hemphill. Okay. How is it connected? How's it connected, Destin? How is it connected? Donald. Don. Yeah. <laughs> he was 30 years old, a twice convicted sex offender, freshly sprung from federal custody. His criminal record kicked off in 1972 with an arrest for indecent exposure in Oklahoma. He had forcibly held a woman down and jerked off on her. I'm sorry. <laughs> Given a two-year sentence, he was apparently unrehabilitated by his sojourn behind bars. And in 1974, he was sent back for a three-year term 
after he con- he was convicted of sexual indecency and assault with a threat of rape, wielding a steel bar. Hemphill was in the process of attacking a to- Tesla store clerk when a customer happened by and saved the day. That's like Tesco. What? Tesco? Tulsa. Tulsa. <laughs> Tulsa. Did I say Tesla? You did say Tesla. Shit. Tulsa store clerk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the theme of today. I've been talking about Tesla all fucking day. Really? Yeah, Jesus. I don't know why. There's actually a Chinese company, car company, that's doing that shit, and they're apparently like fucking big. Really? Yeah. Jesus. Elon? So. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Hemphill, uh, he said, I've done a number of bad things in the past, but murder's out of my ballpark. Well, he tried to I'll hold the girl down and jerk off on her fucking face, but I won't kill nobody. <laughs> All right. He tried to reform himself by joining the Marine Corps. Yeah, Ooh. so apparently after being paroled Marine on Corps. his first attempted rape charge, the two-time loser... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pre-read this article so that just happened <laughs> the two-time loser relocated to Texas but apparently the change of scenery did not occasion a change in his ability to stay out of jail because in 1976 he was convicted of extortion after posing as an FBI agent in, t- a, in a bid to fleece a local car dealer this dude's a fucking idiot he served three years sentence in federal prison. When he first paroled in 1978, Hemphill made quite the show of dedicating his life to God, joining Valwood Baptist Church, and marrying Bible-thumping divorcee Jan McMeans, but not even Jesus could keep him on the straight and narrow. He was nabbed in a flagrant uh, masturbating in a parking lot of a public library. His parole was swiftly revoked. This guy, you know, like they talk about like sex addiction as like a true mental disorder. Yeah. And this, this guy, yeah. he can't stop. Jesus fucking Christ. From like, he was arrested, what, four times from 72 to 78, all for sexual related crimes. Jesus. At least his last one, he was jerking off in a public parking lot and not jerking off on a woman's face. Timer goes off. Well, it's time to bait. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Caught me whacking it. Apparently his neighbor said that he's a starer. You could feel him looking after you, looking at you after you walked off. <laughs> yes, I can feel it. God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Hemphill's new wife in the congregation of Valwood Baptist Church stood by him when he was shipped back to prison to finish his sentence after his uh, parole was revoked. Upon his release the following year, he obtained a job installing television sets for J.C. JC Penney, lying about his criminal record on his application. He had been on the job only a few weeks when he was sent to the Martinson residence to install a television set. Why did you have to have a television set installed back then? Well, back then, it wasn't as easy as getting it out of the box, plug it in, boom, there you go. Really? Yeah, it was, uh, they, they had to, like, delivery man, though. Box cabinet TVs. True, like, true. Like my grandmother, when I was in third grade, I think, yeah, third grade, our TV went out before I went to school. And yeah. I came back from school, there was there that got computers. Like, it wasn't one of those projection TVs. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was like, it was like this off the ground. Y'all can't see it at home. Fuck you. Waste hot. 
waist height, you know, it was wide. And that was back then when TVs were furniture also. Yeah, yeah that's what I was yeah. about to say. It's like, this was like a whole fucking shelf system with a TV built into it. It's it so was. weird. Y'all are, like, you're not that much older than me. You know, you're only like five years older than me. I was raised by old women. So. But like, it's it's weird. Like, he's you're only five years older than me, but our generation is so far apart. And when it comes to technology, especially, like, there's a lot of things that you experienced growing up that I didn't. Yeah. And we're only five years apart. Weird. You know, like I never experienced like the old cabinet TVs. I've never seen one in my life. Really? Never. Go to America's thrift store. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like I I dealt with like the old big projector TVs. I've seen those. No, let me tell you, this thing did not have wheels on it. Yeah. Uh, and like, I, I saw old tube TVs, but never like the old cabinet TVs. Yeah, I've never seen those. TV, hmm. The tube went out in it that morning. Yeah, I remember I was watching whatever cartoon had the Tasmanian devil in it. Looney Tunes? No. He had his own spinoff. It was called Taz something. I don't, I have no clue. But I was watching that and the TV just went, but the sound was still going. Yeah. Grandma. <laughs> Grandma, I can't wipe my car. She don't wear no more. TV broke. She T- I'll call Siri. <laughs> but yeah, can't do that shit anymore. No, you can't. No. <laughs> it's not as simple as getting a TV delivered by FedEx. Yeah. And just being like, plug in HDMI, plug it into the wall. Done. Yeah. It would be like, let me haul this fucking 95 pound TV yeah. to your house for you and let me put in this coax cable and feed it to the wall and make sure the antenna's straight. Yeah, let fucking me, antennas. What are those? adjust your picture for you, make sure it's all good. All right, there you go. Here's your That's why people had kids back then so they didn't have to move the antennas themselves. Yeah. yeah. We were the remote. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, change the channel. Fuck. <laughs> all right, so... Hemphill, he he was sent to the Martinson residence to install a television set. He first visited the home on March 10th, then again on March 14th. And fixing the aerial was apparently a rough task because on his second visit, he spent most of the day in the Martinson attic, yet he was still unable to complete the installation. Sounds like bullshit to me. Up there baiting it. Yeah, up there jerking off. Yeah, and uh, Donald said that apparently detectives came across a man with a record like his, and they were like, oh, yeah, we got a suspect. They, they, I guess he's saying they tried to like put a bullseye on his back. I don't know. Debbie had mentioned the friendly JCPenney repairman to several of her friends and her father, expressing sympathy for his hard-knock upbreaking and cancer-stricken mother-in-law. Probably lying about Probably fucking lying. Yeah. Claiming he needed time to procure the proper tools, Hemphill was scheduled to return to the house for the third time on March 22nd, but he didn't show up. And then March 31st, the day of his murder, Martins had been on the first day of a scheduled five-day vacation from work. And he does have an alibi. Coincidence, huh? He said, I just started a new life. Just because my past isn't good doesn't mean that a man can't change. Bullshit, you have a mental disorder. You can't change. You got medicine? No. Because this is the 80s and they didn't think mental disorders fucking existed. Yeah, anytime you had a mental disorder in the late 70s, early 80s, it was always... um, Drink some whiskey and shut the fuck up. What they gave you was multiple personality disorder. Yeah. That was it. That Like, if if I went in and I was like, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah, they'd use the same drug every fucking time, which he probably didn't go to the doctor and get shit. I mean, with with no, the history of it, bipolar, yeah, yeah, bipolar. yeah, like se- like sexual related crimes like that. If they are constantly reoccurring, then there is a potential it is a mental disorder, not just 
I feel like doing this. I feel like doing this. So it's like a compulsion almost. Anyway, within a week elapsed since the crime and DNA technology, you know, it took a decade in the future before Dallas did their best to build a case against him. You know, evidence was scarce with the passage of seven days. The other residents were hard pressed to remember details. Detectives could only find one witness who remembered spotting a stranger in the neighborhood on the day of the crime. 12 year old Jody fried. The fuck less name is that? Jody Fried had spot he he they saw a mustachioed man wearing a white eye patch loitering near the home mid morning, according to the detectives. Although she was unable to pick anyone out of the photo lineup, she did gesture towards Hemphill, saying, "It kind of looks like him." Yeah, it kind of looks like him because they all stand up. Yeah, Donald Hemphill said, "Good Lord knows I didn't do it." Yeah, I'm sure you fucking didn't do it, you little piece of shit. But a fellow JCPenney employee, Ray Neely, confirmed Hemphill did in fact sport an eye patch on occasion. And a forensic document examiner was able to verify a match between the printing on his application and the notes scrawled on the mirror. I don't know how you can use that type of analysis for something like that handwriting analysis for using lipstick it's like it's lipstick on a mirror it's not like they're writing a well, suicide see, note you, you still have like characteristics when you're writing certain things like yeah, if like, you look if I you can look tell you right now though if I wrote something on that wall with lipstick it wouldn't look like my handwriting yeah because your handwriting is different when you're writing down it's different because you're actually using your <laughs> Like hand muscles. If you're writing with lipstick, you're gonna like you're gonna be like cavemaning a fucking thing of lipstick. You're not gonna (laughs) you're not gonna hold a thing of lipstick like a pencil. Different muscles, so yeah. Yeah, I mean you're not gonna hold a thing of lipstick like a fucking pencil. I wouldn't at least, but I guess I'm a caveman. (laughs) (laughs) But the the fact that Hemphill and the victim's husbands both shared the same first name, Dawn emblazoned in lipstick at the crime scene seemed coincidental. Hemphill had staged the message in an attempt to misdirect the investigation towards Don Martinson's business associates, detectives believed. I don't think he was that fucking smart, but... No, he's not. No. Would Hemphill risk his new life by signing his crime like a high school sophomore on the town's water tower? What kind of fucking analogy is that? Many in the Dallas County DA's office felt the case against Hemphill was too weak to prosecute. A neighbor at his apartment complex claimed to have seen Hemphill several times on the morning of the crime, furnishing him with a partial alibi. Hoping his arrest might shake loose more evidence, Dallas police arrested Hemphill on April 12th, snatching him in an early morning raid as he slumbered beside his pregnant wife. Oh God, he had sex with somebody? Someone had sex with him, that's the thing. True. The pastor and congregants of Valwood Baptist Church were unwavering in their support, staging a garage sale to pay his legal fees and extolling his born-again transformation in the press. Despite his history of sexual assault, the Valwood congregation was certain of Hemphill's innocence. The intractable nature of sexual deviance was no match for the healing power of Jesus Christ. Well, let's ask, let's ask uh, Jesus. Jesus! Top five answers on the board. We ask 100 people who killed Deborah Martinson. Jesus doesn't know. 
Jesus did it. Jesus anyway, did it. God damn it. Case call. <laughs> Pronounce Jesus. With, with criminal profiling still in its infancy, the pattern of escalation often exhibited by sex offenders had not yet become common knowledge. The fact that Hemphill had not murdered his other victims was evidence of his innocence. Bullshit. Just because he ain't... How, how you think you get started in killing people? You kill people. Yeah, you you got to have a first. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Ted Bundy had a first. Jack the Ripper had a first. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. He just got unlucky that he got caught on his first one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just because he hadn't killed someone first. before. I just said that. Fuck you. I just said that. Fuck you too. How you, you fucking weirdos. Interestingly enough, the media's coverage of Hemphill's arrest dripped with skepticism. Despite the autopsy results, journalists seemed unwilling to veer from the negative slant towards Don Martinson because they were selling fucking papers. Hemphill was treated with kid gloves in the press, his claims of religious conversion taken at face value. The twice convicted sex offender was portrayed as something of a folk hero, and every man aligned against heavy moneyed people settled to Don Martinson's influence. No, they were just selling fucking papers. Hemphill didn't sell papers. Rich man sold papers. That's why they kept going with it. That's how it fucking works. Apparently, some police officers and reporters who followed the case thought murder is just not Hip Hill style. Well, if you think about, think about it like this, this is a man that he's a sexual deviant. Uh, he went after someone like Miss Martinson that would not touch anyone. Weak, powerless. She she was scared of everything. She wouldn't fuck. She probably wouldn't go near him. She said he was nice. Yeah, but that's about it. Like, she's not going to try to go near him. She's not going to really talk to him I'm, much. I'm thinking that the times he came to the house to, air quotes, fix the TV, you know, he's like, my mother has cancer, or this and that. He went up in the attic and jerked off. And then she started saying, oh, poor thing, and started getting like building a relationship with him. I don't think so. I, I don't think I don't think she would go anywhere near him if she didn't have to. I felt like she just like stayed locked in her room while he did his thing. I bet, and he was he didn't like that because he can't jerk off in her face if she's locked in her room, and that probably was his end goal. That's probably why I got the job. You know, yeah, he probably. he wanted to jerk off on more girls, and they wouldn't let him. How does that feel? Case solved. All right. Anyway. <laughs> it's unclear if the subsequent events were engineered by dumb luck or divine intervention, but the case against Hemphill fell apart during the grand jury proceedings. Hemphill's co-worker, co-worker Ray Neely recanted his eye patch testimony, saying that while he may have seen him wear a patch on occasion, he wasn't certain enough to swear to it. Even more devastating for the prosecution's case, the forensic document examiner backtracked from his previous declaration of a match between the writing and the lipstick note. The sample on the mirror was too small to make a definitive determination. The expert now claimed he could confirm the writing was consistent, but nothing more. I fuck. How you gonna say something and be like, nah, I was just playing? Like this is this is a murder case. You can't just be like, eh, nah, man. I'm sorry, my bad. Motherfuckers lying on the stand. That's what they doing. Yes. Looking for his son. 
Oh, okay. We'll talk about his son in a minute. So, the the neighbor, Jody Fried's avowal, Hemphill was the man she spotted near the house, but she was, uh, it, it didn't matter. It was insufficient. They didn't give a shit. Although she identified him in the courtroom, her failure to pick him out of the photo lineup undermined the prosecution's case. In the days before criminal forensic testimonial evidence was king and proving guilty without the benefit of DNA, it was pretty fucking difficult to prove somebody guilty without DNA. Now it's pretty easy. They'd be like, hey, that's his nut and they'd be fine. But they couldn't do that back then. So Bible in hand, Hemphill left the courtroom on the arm of his four month pregnant wife, thanking the almighty and pledging to slew the Dallas, sue the Dallas police department for false arrest. I was about to say, did he ever? Despite the exultant media coverage, Hemphill was unable to reclaim his job at, with JCPenney because he lied about his fucking record because he was a sex offender. They would have never gave it to him in the first place. He instead went to work as the janitor at the Valwood Baptist Church. His lawsuit against the Dallas PD abandoned at the behest of forgiveness, enthusiasmed by Jesus H. Christ. And here's where the story should end. Debbie Morrison's murder, yet unsolved, but the innocent handyman vindicated. His arrest was a textbook example of the dangers of tunnel vision and sloppy police work. Donald Wayne Hemphill's Oh, whatever the fuck that word is. I don't know what it is. It looks like it says uh, propens- propensity. That one. Propensity? Why does this article want it? Fuck that means. This article just tried to use big ass words to sound smart. Just because I can read it don't mean I understand it. <laughs> Donald's uh, photosynthesis. For- <laughs> his, his obsession with sexually terrorizing women was in the past. With Jesus, life is a giant etch-a-sketch. Shake it and it will be erased. Any sin, no matter how heinous, can be easily erased with the flick of his divine wrist. With God, anything is possible. I can relate because if you shake me, I'll erase you. (laughs) (laughs) Shook! Alright, so on May 23rd, 1981, exactly one year after Hemphill was declared innocent by a grand jury, a 27-year-old Fort Worth woman was ambushed after leaving a nightclub. The attacker pounced on her as she exited her vehicle in front of her home. Brandishing a knife and holding a towel on his lower face to prevent identification, the assailant forced the terrified woman into the car and drove to a secluded location where he demanded she perform an unnatural sex act, which is what they referred to as fellatio back then, sucking dick. Apparently that's an unnatural sex act. Were people not allowed to suck dick back in the 80s? Well, I don't understand. I don't know. I think the, uh, the ban was lifted on it last year. Okay. People are allowed to suck dick now. Okay. What? <laughs> The attacker then proceeded to vaginally (laughs) rape the victim, and upon completion of the act, she was thrown from the car naked, left lying in the road as her rapist motored off with her clothes and purse. Fort Worth detectives had no leads in the case, but the rapist's torment of the victim was not yet completed. The attacker began to harass the traumatized woman with obscene phone calls. Investigators placed a trace on the victim's phone line. The first spat of calls originated from various payphones, but the eventually the attacker got lazy and called from guess where? His fucking house. The residence of Donald Wayne Hemphill. 
Despite his towel swaddling, swaddling, the victim had no problem picking him out of a lineup. He was arrested on June 2nd, 1981, 10 days after the crime. How? Because uh, he pulled over to like part of the road of the towel thing where she could still see. Yeah. And while he was committing this heinous act in the back seat, when cars would pass by, the headlights would like light up the car and she could just every single time they pass by. Oh, that's creepy as fuck. Yeah. That's, that's creepy scary. as fuck yeah. to think about. Yeah. So he was arrested on June 2nd, 1981, 10 days after the crime. This time, the Valwood Baptist Church declined to trumpet Hemp Hill's Christian credentials in the media or host a rummage sale. The evidence of his guilt was overwhelming. Looking at a life term as a thrice convicted sex offender, Hemphill opted to plead guilty in exchange for a 35-year sentence with parole eligibility in 11 years. When Hemphill acknowledged his guilt and apologized to the victim at his sentencing hearing, no mention of his religious conversion or his wingman, Jesus Christ, was uttered. All he said was, I'm sorry. But where's where's all the where's all the Jesus now? Where where is it? You know, were you using it as a, a facade to get Why away with Jesus murder? Stop you! Like were were you using it as a facade to get away with murder? Is that what you were doing? Because oh, that's what it looks like you were doing. Because ninety five percent of prisoners find Jesus. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, might as well. Maybe he'll help me out here. Yeah. Although uh, Hemp Hill's rape of the Fort Worth victim tended to, you know, show his guilt in the uh, Deborah Martinson murder, the conviction would be inadmissible in a homicide trial unless, of course, he took the stand in his own defense and unlikely moved as a seasoned con. And so with no evidence, the investigation into the crime Dallas media dubbed the lipstick murder languished, much to the anguish of Debbie's father. He can't be tried for it again, so... And- Debbie's father devoted his life finding out who did this. Yeah, he said, I would give up my house and everything I own if I thought it would help find the man who killed Debbie. And he gave, he advertised a $10,000 reward. He clues towards who did it, and that came out of his retirement fund. He said, this is a newspaper article. It says, my message, my message to whoever did this would be to turn himself in so he wouldn't have to live with himself. If he can't do that, he should take a gun and blow his brains out because that's what he deserves. <laughs> Daddy ain't fucking around. And, uh, Deborah's father was terminated from his job because of lack of focus. Yep. Yeah. He, he was uh, obsessed with fighting. What did he do? Hey, no, I think he just got fired because he wasn't focusing on his job. You know, he just he just wasn't paying attention to what he's doing and just lackluster work. That or just not showing up. Yeah, probably maybe that too. He said, "I hope I live long enough to hear the man who killed my daughter say he did it. I won't be satisfied till he's dead." This is one hard motherfucker. His her dad don't give a fuck. He's a Texas man. Texas <laughs> man. All they all they care about is killing people. Well, her father passed away without ever knowing. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Donald Wayne Hiffel may have disappeared from the media, but he failed to disappear from planet Earth, unfortunately. Although I can't find the exact date in the newspapers, he was apparently paroled on the Fort Worth rape in 1994 and back on the prowl. In March of that year, that he was 
again arrested, charged with aggravated sexual assault and kidnapping in Abilene. By July, he was back in prison, serving 50 years, chipping away at his life sentence on the installment plan. He's eligible for parole this year at the age of 68 in 2019. And his release date, but his release date is like 2044. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he'll probably die before then. That's wild, dude. Texas has a stellar record for preserving decades-old evidence, but even if the crime lab has discarded the semen sample found in Debbie's mouth, touch DNA can almost certainly harvest epithelial cells from the clothing trail at the crime scene. Obviously, there's a very small chance that Donald actually did it, but with modern technology, we could hopefully get the answer. I don't, I mean, who did it? Joseph, who did it? Had access to the house. It's really, it's really looking at it with how fucking disgusting of a person he is. I mean, I don't know why they can't figure that out. He, I mean, maybe they saved the evidence and they can compare it to his DNA now. Because back then, DNA testing was still in its baby phase. Yeah, it didn't really uh, come until 1990, I believe, yeah, was when it really was. The FBI was like, look what we got. The way they used to do it back at when it first started, to get uh, people to compare like the DNA, like I guess you'd say, it was basically like a picture of someone's DNA. Yeah. And uh, what they what they would do is they'd blow it up really big and print it out on a piece of paper so people could see it. So you'd have like a full piece of paper that's like, you well, know. It was, the, it was the laminate paper, the clear paper. They, yeah. They would overlap them to see if they matched. But like now they, they'll they look at a computer and just be like, oh, it looks the same. But back then they had to print it out fucking huge to try to compare it. Which nowadays I'm pretty sure they had just have like this little small machine it in there and it just runs through the database. They're like, oh, that's yeah. Exactly what happens. Yeah, it they... through the database and comes up match or no match. That's it. Yeah. Uh, it well, yeah, it's just a picture. You know what I mean. Like, this guy. It says match or no match. It's like yeah. Tinder for murderers. I don't know. The biggest thing that like throws it off to me is the mirror because it, it just the way it looks it looks like it was signed by Dawn. Did they ever say if um, Hemp Hill ever went by the name Don or his name was just Donald? I'm pretty sure somebody was just like, hey, Don. Yeah, I'm sure. But like, there's a lot of people that, you know, their name's Matthew, but they don't want to go by Matt. It's like, my name's Joseph and I don't want to go by Joe. Yeah. My granddad, his name's Andrew. He does not want to be called Andy. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the thing that throws it off the weirdest to me is how the mirror, the mirror, the way it's signed. I wish I could. Post a picture. I'm, I might save this picture, uh, and I'll post it on Twitter for people to see it. But um, the thing that looks so weird to me is it says now really big, then we are even, then dawn. So I, I don't really see it as like the husband's enemies coming after him uh, or anything like that. I think it was it shows that someone named Dawn did it. All the evidence points towards him, Phil. He's 
a repeat sex it offender. Could, like it could be him signing it too, because like what it said earlier was that she uh, said he was a nice person, but that could be just because she's like, all right, hey, how's it going? That was that he means, in, that wasn't from his word. Her words though, no one knows how she felt about him. Okay. Per se, you know what I mean. So it could be her. She's dead. It could be her being so standoffish that it like offended him somehow. Yeah. So yeah. then he does this, and that message is for her. Yeah, like, a, hey, he, now we're even. He's gone. a nice guy. Yeah, he's, he's a nice guy. the The biggest thing, uh, so you know, this guy he's a big old dickhead. And there's this little adage right here that um, he had a son named Eric Scott Hemphill, and he also grew up to be a rapist. He, he was recently sentenced to 40 years in prison for a serious attack on little girls and elderly women. <laughs> Says that boy got his mama's face and his daddy's paraphilia. And that's one hell of an ugly combination. Yeah, his uh, his son, it was like, his first attack was like a, like a nine-year-old girl. And then he attacked two like 70-year-old women and raped them or some shit. Yeah, whole family, you know. I guess that shit does run in your genes. Does rape run in the genes? I don't fucking know. <laughs> that's so... Oh, God. But yeah, that's that's the Dallas Lipstick murder. My biggest thing is she's, she's so paranoid and so standoffish. Like, I'm surprised she was okay with someone coming over and working on the TV without it, her husband I there. Mean, it had to have been a necessity. Yeah. Because back then, all you really had was a TV or sitting in your living room doing nothing. But I'm sure, like, she would uh, she would not have been around him if he was doing stuff. She wouldn't have been around the house. In her room. She would have been hiding wall. away because she slept under her fucking bed. Yeah. In her room with the door locked. So. And the front door triple locked. Like. She must have came out to go pee or some shit whenever he attacked her. And not even that. Doors weren't hard to pick back then. I mean, like it, it wouldn't yeah. be hard to get into that door. I think Hill was too dumb not to pick a lock. All he knew was nut on face. <laughs> Close enough. Okay, so these technical difficulties are gonna make me lose my fucking mind. No, we're good now. We're good. Okay, so that's that's pretty much the case. Um, Miss Debbie was either murdered by. Her husband or by Donald Hemphill is probably Donald Hemphill, the way it looks like to me. Uh, he had a history of sexual assault, which she was sexually assaulted before she was murdered. Um, it's just weird that it escalated to murder for that instance. That's weird. Because even after her, you'd think he would murder again, but he didn't. Well, as we've seen in a lot more serial killer things we've heard about is they start off small and they're like well this isn't thrilling me as much so let's try this yeah and he really got off to it but he didn't kill after that he attacked another woman afterwards but he didn't kill her it could have been just too much for him I mean yeah maybe he did it and then realized he didn't like that maybe he was like whoa this is too heavy yeah not doing that again Jesus told me I can't do that. Sorry. So we're all agreed and Bill did it. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think that's a, that looks like the best to me. Uh, there, there's only two suspects for me to go by and the dad, dad, husband. It was the milkman. The husband, the husband had a pretty solid alibi. Yeah. It was a 12 year old. 
the government the government is his alibi. That's pretty fucking solid. John French fries. What? what oh, John uh, Jody Fried. Whatever. Fried. The twelve year old did it. Yeah, Deep Fried did it. It was a female. Whatever. She squirted on his face, her face, its face. That's it. it's not twenty nineteen. Her. So I want to get y'all's opinion on something. <sighs> okay, what do you want? Okay, a convicted murderer in Iowa. Okay. Died due to a medical emergency and was brought back to life. His argument, his argument, his argument is, I served my life sentence. I let him out. I mean, I yeah. mean it's a huge loophole. The, the only thing I read was it, as a criminal died, was brought back to life, and then t- says he technically served his life sentence. That is why Canada doesn't have life sentences. What was his crime? Murder. Murder. He's I'd a serial out. murderer, yeah. I'd let him out. Okay. I mean, so, technically, he died. It's let's not his let's fault sa- the fucking. <laughs> let's like, save this for a shit back. show. Okay. Let's but, save it for a shit show. But let's get opinions on it. Should he be let go? I, I don't want to go too far into it because I can talk about that for a minute, actually. Because technically, he did he die served, in prison. He served his life sentence, yeah. So, I mean, it's moot. He's got to <laughs> open the fucking door. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that on the shit show when we record the shit show. Okay. We're done here. The Dallas Lipstick Murder. Debbie was murdered by Donald Hiphill. Or was he? Tune in next week where we won't talk about it anymore. Thank you. All right, everybody. Let's uh, plug social medias. Uh, What's your Twitter? Uh, at Joseph Baswell. He has a Twitter. At Dustin Gortman. I have a Twitter. It's at LasersGG. Uh, the podcast Twitter is at the Torn Page Pod. Uh, Instagram is at the Torn Page Pod. We haven't posted anything on Instagram yet. I probably should do that. Um, Patreon.com slash the Torn Page. Support us. We need new equipment because we are having technical difficulties. I'm about to lose my fucking mind. We're poor. This shit's pissing me off. We had to stop the recording twice because my the microphones got really staticky and we luckily caught it pretty soon. Yeah, let's talk it didn't really have fast to, so it doesn't happen again. We didn't have to throw away a whole entire episode like we did the last time. Okay, this was a good episode. I enjoyed doing it with you guys. Yes, uh, thank ad- you all for listening. Advice of the week, don't be a dick. Uh, after this, uh, when this recording goes up, it'll be past Veterans Day, but hey, shake one's hand anyways. Happy yeah, we have a veteran day. right here. Hey, we Pres- salute you. Anyways, who, y'all have who, uh, who are? Who are? Who are? whatever yep alright we oh. thank you everyone for listening we really appreciate it this is our first episode back well technically second after I upload the other thing but this is the first full episode Rejuvenated. back we are back at it we are back on the uh, how do the kids say it grind we're back on the battle bus oh god floss for me Oh god, he's actually flossing. Oh, this. <laughs> I can't because my arms are so muscly. We like Fortnite. We uh, like Fortnite. Okay, thank you everyone for listening. Rate us five stars on iTunes. Share it with your friends. Tell everyone to listen to it. We love you. Good night. <laughs>